the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. This Sunday is Easter, a great celebration day for Christians. The church bears a mandate to proclaim the truth that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrected Lord gave the church a sacred commission to take the gospel, the message of Christ's victory over sin and death throughout the world. So, as the church gathers to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christians look back in thankfulness to that empty tomb and forward to the fulfillment of Christ's purposes in us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the promise of our resurrection from the dead and of Christ's total victory over sin and death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the very center of the Christian gospel. The empty tomb is full of power. Happy Easter to all. May the joy of the resurrection be yours. I'm Albert Mullen. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Preparing leaders for America and the world. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's 800-494-2323. 800-494-2323. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. There's something about suffering which I've learned the hard way. Hello, I'm Chuck Swindoll. Not until you can say, thank you, Lord, have you fully accepted the trial the Lord allows to come your way. For example, not until you can say, thank you, Lord, for the loss of my mate, have you fully accepted the loss as from the Lord himself. We can never explain every hard thing or every time of suffering. We can only learn by faith to say thank you for them.
pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll. Visit Insight for Living's website at insight.org. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's 800-494-2323. 800-494-2323. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So people ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Thanks for being with us. Let's talk all things biblical tonight. Good to hear from you. Hopefully you'll give us a call. We'd love to have share a little time with you. 340-9585. That's area code 210 three four zero nine five eight five and we will begin our conversations for the next 90 minutes well let's just talk about the bible let's talk about the its message and particularly uh, on this particular day let's let's talk about this event this thing that is being made so much of all around the world today and that is that a man 2,000 years ago named Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, um, predicted, said that he was going to rise from the dead and then did so, uh, evidently. And all evidence uh, seems to point that direction. If you've done any kind of... Uh, Research on the thing, uh, there are a number of people who have tried to disprove it, and most of them end up, it seems, uh, becoming very devoted and uh, committed believers because of the evidence is very strong. I've been through that evidence myself many times, and um, it is pretty hard and fast. It's pretty straightforward. What did happen uh, to the body? of uh, Jesus of Nazareth. What happened to those remains? We we have the record. We know the environment. We know the uh, context of, of the events. And everything seems to point to the fact that uh, he actually rose uh, from the dead, as he said he would, and as it was predicted, of course, by others, many, many others throughout the uh, Hebrew scriptures, th- throughout the Tanakh, that the body of the Messiah would not 
uh, corrupt in the grave that would not that he would overcome the grave. So mm, here we have this event, and I'm curious about what you make of it this year. What uh, you know, every year I think sometimes like the Bible, every time we read it, it has a little bit of a different spin, depending on our own needs and so on. So I'm wanting to ask you, uh, what do you make of the the resurrection story this year what has jumped out at you what has um what idea has been principal in your mind about it maybe the application that you would give it this year so give us a call if you'd like 210-340-9585 let's go directly to the phone lines and visit with rich who is calling in good to hear from you rich on this easter evening what's going on Hi, in happy, that part of the world happy easter thank you my uh, friend. thank I, you I, I, I was deliberately reading about the uh, crucifixion and the rising from the dead today, and uh, it was in Matthew. Yes. And uh, something uh, I wanted you to know, I never gloat or anything, make fun of people. All my life I've never been like that. I don't I don't uh, believe in that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Chapter 57, you mentioned the other day, what was the man that made the dug out the tomb out of the stone? Because I got a different reading. Uh, that was um, the, the rich man, um, uh, who's two. I, I tell you what, I got Sophie. Okay. Uh-huh. In chapter fifty-seven, I got uh, a rich man arrived. His name was Joseph. Joseph I, I, of Arimathea, uh, right? Uh huh. Is that is that the right yes. name? Joseph. Okay. Of Arimathea. Mm-hmm. I thought you gave a different name. That's why I asked. I was thinking maybe I got the wrong Bible. You know, uh, <laughs> no, no, you know, really. I, I started thinking that. I uh, think in all the Bibles, it's Joseph of Arimathea. He was a wealthy man, and of course, that too was predicted in, in the uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. That uh, let me see. I believe it's Psalm twenty-two. It talks about uh, in the in the grave of a wealthy man. Uh, I, I'll go look it up real quick here if that's the correct place. But uh, that too, it, it seems like every detail of this procedure was indeed uh predicted uh, I, I i find it it, I, it is so fascinating and i didn't like the way matthew ended really uh when the pharisees told the guards to say that the uh, jews came and stole his body uh-huh. and then the guards spread that rumor around and the very last sentence it says and in the report spread around by the jews to this very day i i don't buy that uh, okay, I think I think that's wrong. And Matthew, there, yeah, I wish Jacob yeah. were here. He would probably have something to to say about it. You know, Jacob has just completed his book, about six hundred page book. Uh, tell me what uh, passage that is again, Matthew. It can't be fifty seven. Matthew uh, twenty seven. It's at the end of the chapter twenty seven. Uh, yeah, uh, I got eleven. Verse eleven. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's at the very end of the uh, uh, book. Yep, I got it. Chapter and uh, that that really threw me when the uh, when that sentence appeared. I uh, I really find something wrong with that sentence. Uh, uh, to this very let day. Let me see if I, I can I, find I, it here. The report of the guard, the store uh, among the Jews, and they okay. It says here. So the guards accepted the bribe. Uh, yeah. Actually, see, uh, there's a little background there. If you know about the Roman, uh, the Roman guards of that era, and the Ro- to fail to fall asleep on duty was a death um, 
infraction. It was it was a it was punishable by death. And so yeah, these right. guards these guards were very frightened and they had reason to be quite nervous. Uh, but they they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe, it said. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while you were sleeping, and they stole his body uh, while you were sleeping. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So they covered that that uh, for them. And then they said, so the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Uh, yeah, that's that's the sentence. Or and it is still told today, uh, different versions. Um, I, I don't have any particular problem with it. Your problem is that it talks specifically about the Jews, or that it, it seems unbelievable that the guards would do that. Or? The way the way I think, uh, Sophie, is it makes the uh, Jews sound like they uh, don't have any common sense. Uh, hmm. That's what got me. Yeah. Well, do remember, Rich, the the corruption that existed in the uh, in the um, in the land at that time was really qu- much worse. And I think Jacob has helped out a lot in us understanding this. The corruption that existed in that era was was greater than we actually can imagine. The, you know, Caiaphas was not really actually a Levite. He had to go and ask permission every day to get put on the priestly robes. There was, there were, uh, Rome had filled the temple with their own priests, uh, paid off and so on. People bought their way onto the Sanhedrin, the leadership. Uh, it was quite a, and I'm sure to some degree that there were, uh, people in the on the streets, you know, normal walk a you know work a day John and Mary Jewish persons that just um, that they they went along, they took the news. I I don't have too much problem with it, but the, the rumor getting spread and people telling it even today. Um, well, that's a that's a lot of years, Sophie. Oh, it is, it is. Oh, of course. Well, this was written what? Just <laughs> this was written not long after the uh, events themselves, the Gospel of Matthew. You're right. But um, well, I I don't know what to say. I think people people believe quite often, Rich, what they want to believe. Some people yep. are deceived. Some people are deceived and don't really, and they just kind of go with what the media tells them. Other people kind of believe what they tend to want to believe, you know, nah, nobody could rise from the dead. He must, they must have told. But, of course, it, it, the theory itself is only one of a, a number of alternative theories about the resurrection. I think you know that. There's another theory that the swoon theory, it's called, that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. Uh, he actually went into some kind of a coma or a swoon, and they oh, took him died. down. He was buried, and then... Somewhere in uh, on the third day there, he, he revived the cool, damp, dampness of the tomb, revived him, and he got up. He worked himself out well, of this. Well, you can look at it like this. When the earthquake came and then the curtain tore, you know that he died. I mean, that's the only way you can look I, at I know, it. I know that. I'm not having a problem with it myself, but I know that through the through the years and centuries, uh, a number of theories have been uh, advanced. Yeah. To try to explain the fact that we cannot tell what happened to his body, and of course the idea that he revived in a cold, wet uh, tomb and 
got up off the tomb, got himself out of those gray grave clothes that were wrapped around his body, and then uh, jumped over and moved that two-ton uh, rock uh, off of the mouth of the grave, breaking the Roman seal, and then had to fight off the Roman guard that was there and then appeared to his disciples as a risen, victorious Messiah. Uh, it, it really is harder to believe that than, than the other. Uh, it's... Uh, it, well, it, I got to tell you the truth. So be, I, I don't put nothing past uh, uh, the capabilities of uh, Jesus Christ. So yeah. uh, uh, that's I, the way I, I, I look at it. I'm going to let you go. Thank you, Rich. I know, that, go I know you got to be. Have a, have a great evening now. Yeah, it's uh, there. Are, this isn't a shoe in. This is not something that everybody universally, uh, most folks, I suppose, and I don't know this for a fact, but most folks who, for example, are non-believers in some uh, measure, uh, the people I've known and met around the world, and you know, about fifty years of ministry in forty-five countries of the world, most of those, most folks. Uh, don't think about it just very much at all. It's not something they ponder or wonder about, maybe even know about uh, on planet Earth, it seems. Um, those that do pretty much as they will, it just, it's, it's about all those religious things we don't know. Uh, but the, that is the actual, that's the actual advantage, or if you call it an advantage, that's one of the unique aspects of the Christian message, of the biblical message, is that it is not only uh, defended and not only makes sense philosophically. You know, you have the cosmological argument, the tele- teleological argument. You know, we, we talk about the argument, arguments for the existence of God uh, and creation, uh, the special awareness that we have as human beings and uh, conscience, human conscience, the difference between right and wrong. These are amazing things. And if, how do you explain them? Uh, and the on, the only thing that uh, the only the only theory the only uh, worldview that has been offered it seems to be dominant right now is the whole idea of uh, Darwinian uh, evolution, which even itself I believe it seems is on the way out. There are just more and more uh, even scientists who are saying that's just we're just replacing one faith-based uh, explanation with another because the whole idea of the uh, Darwinian evolution, the, the the solution to everything is just more time. Uh, it, in fact, it, it breaks so many uh, primary scientific rules and laws that we know of that the only the only option they have is to say, well, over billions and billions and billions and billions of years, you know, it had the odds were it would come up, so they just keep adding billions of years. Um, so that's pretty popular now, but, uh, those are the arguments, the, the Christian faith, uh, what we believe in coming from the Bible, the Jewish faith, the, this idea of a, of special revelation, this idea that God has spoken, God has moved, he's acted in time and space, in history. He's involved himself in the affairs of men and women, individuals, married couples, families, clans, uh, people groups of all kind. Uh, he has involved himself at every level and that he has caused a record of that involvement to be laid down accurately, correctly, 
and transmitted to us in that same way. Now, the, you say, well, you just say that. We don't know if it's laid down accurately or correctly. Well, that's a whole different field of research. At least we're not back to talking about just uh, philosophical arguments, uh, which seem to be very, very strong in favor of uh, the existence of a creator, of a, of a designer. But here we have actual specific events uh, that are predicted, that are said, that are specific things that were said, names given, cities, the names of the cities are given, places, dates, and times, and uh, we can actually evaluate those, but it, but we evaluate them on the basis of their historicity, uh, which is a whole different ball of wax. It's uh, Historians have been exploring, historians have been... Uh, validating or not validating or coming to the conclusion that we don't know for centuries about all kinds of events of the past. Uh, the exist- existence of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, the even even closer events. Uh, events have in antiquity. You have the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, these ancient documents, and we've had to find out, well, how much of that text is original? How much has made it through the transmission progress, either uh, uh, by the original language itself or uh, in Greek or made it to us through translations into English or French or German and so on. In other words, this is a very common uh, a common event. People have been evaluating uh, records of antiquity uh, for the longest time, dating them, uh, what date they were, how accurate they are, and so on. Uh, there's internal evidence, external evidence. There's archaeological evidence that they consider in each case. There there are real rules that they apply to these. And uh, any way you take it, when they apply those rules to the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, or to the New Testament, uh, a much uh, uh, later dating the New Testament, when you apply those rules, those historic, the, the, the rules of historicity, when you had, uh, apply those to the documents, um, they come out with flying colors. They really do. I, I'm, I've actually uh, thought through it, went through it, read through it, studied through it. Uh, it's really amazing. The, the, these documents have far more evidence for them. I, I don't I don't use the word prove very much anymore, but I do talk about evidence, and I would say that the evidence is very much in favor of the historicity of the documents, the accuracy of the documents, uh, the uh, accuracy of their transmission to us through the translation processes and so on. In fact, is uh, and I know this, uh, Jacob agrees with me through greatly, we, we enjoy in these times right now, we probably enjoy the greatest access to these documents and the most accurate understanding of them uh, of any time in history, the, the, it is astounding. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure still that though that most people make their decision about God based on uh, the documents, based on the Bible. Uh, I'm talking about in a global world. I'm not sure how. Even in, perhaps even here in the United States, it seems to me. Uh, maybe you agree or disagree. Give me a call if you'd like. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Basically. Uh, 210-340-9585, 340-9585. I kind of get a sense. What do you think, John? Maybe you can shake your head yes or no on this. I kind of get a sense that individual people believe what they want to believe in the end. 
even, I mean, I know the intellect is involved and we look at it and we think about it. Uh, I'm sure the emotions, uh, the appeal of the idea of a, of a loving God uh, uh, who loves his creation, his wandering uh, fallen creation and, and redeems us, purchases us back from our fallen state. And, and I mean, it, emotionally, there's a tremendous appeal to it that God loves us. He, it, but uh, so it, the intellect and the emotions are involved. But I think it seems to me somehow that, uh, as I've seen over the years, that people, individuals believe what they want to believe uh, ultimately. And I don't, I don't, that will is uh, untethered. <laughs> I mean, it's affected by the intellect and the emotions, I'm sure. But I, I kind of have a feeling that people ha- believe what they want to believe. And, and essentially, uh, those that want God, the desire God, for some reason it makes sense to them that God is there. They uh, Sometimes the, their will is shaped by... Mm, sometimes their will can be shaped by the intellect, uh, it just makes more sense. It's absurd to think it's not. I think you have people like C.S. Lewis or others that fit in that category. They're very cerebral. They're very academic, and they, they logic uh, is, is a lot to them. Uh, and so they really study it. And some people are stirred and moved by that, and, and uh, it shows that clearly to them that this, this is what happened. Uh, and they make their decision. But they must... Uh, all if you become convinced it's true, all it does is lead you to another decision. Do I want to? Do I want to buy into that? Do I personally want to buy into it and uh, become a follower of Jesus and trust in God and and believe in God? Is that am I going to let that be a guiding factor in the way I live my life? And there's still a decision to make, uh, even after you determine yes, He did rise from the dead. Um, there are lots of people who knew that he rose from the dead. We just talked about him. The guards knew it. The guards knew that something weird happened, but evidently they didn't want to face that. And now there are movies out about <laughs> the guards, the the Roman guards, and some of them that were in fact convinced. Uh, so, uh, and the the temple priests must have known because they saw it as well and heard about it. So. Uh, it's really a matter of what we really want to believe, I, I suppose. Well, give me a call, folks, 340-9585. We'll be back right after this great Easter music and uh, just a couple of minutes of hearing from our program sponsors. Every good gift of the year, now with its master returns, it'll be festival day. Blessed day to be hallowed forever, day when our Lord was raised, breaking the... You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. So 
tell me, Doc, what's the news? Well, your test results came back, and, uh... Is it my blood sugar, blood pressure, cholesterol? Ah, I should have been taking a daily vitamin. Or maybe aspirin. I told myself... Well, no, actually, Joe, you have what's called a heart of stone. Uh, what now? A heart of stone. Your heart is just a big stone in your chest. How... how is that even possible? Well, uh, physically, it's impossible for your heart to be made out of stone. But the Bible says that if you turn away from God and His love, it's like having a spiritual heart of stone. There's good news, though. Jesus Christ will fix your heart if you surrender it to Him. Jesus will give you true peace, joy, and forgiveness for your sins. I will remove from you your heart of stone. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Learn more about how Jesus can change your heart at findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Singer Megan Trainer launched her career with a hit that arguably promoted healthy body image. And many of her other songs promote redemptive themes too, such as a strong mother-daughter relationship, boundaries in relationships, and nurturing strong self-esteem and worth. Trainer's latest, the song No Excuses, treads somewhat similar ground as she calls out a guy for the disrespectful way he's trying to gain her romantic attention. drawback to this lyrical call for respect is an allusion to some drinking that's poured into the mix. So I'll give no excuses a four out of five for family friendliness. For the full review, visit us at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. This is the Soapster here on the Bible Live broadcast. Uh, we already got first the first segment just flew by, but we are welcoming your call on this Easter evening. If you'd like to sound off and talk a little bit like Rich did, maybe even about the resurrection event uh, from the he was talking about a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, said he had a little problem with the idea that the this this. Uh, fabrication that was that the priests made up and they gave to the soldiers that that the followers of Jesus came and evidently while they were asleep I guess that's a little less 
serious than the followers of these fishermen and tax collectors and so on came up and with their swords they defeated a a regiment of probably 12 to 14 Roman guards. Uh, That would have been a little hard to convince people of and probably, I suspect, a little hard on the egos of the soldiers, right, that a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and so on, um, a ragtag group who had fled for their lives in the garden, uh, all of a sudden they found their courage and they got a knife or a sword somewhere, and they came out and they defeated this Roman guard, uh, this regiment. And actually, studies have been made. You can you can study that how they set up and how wh- what a, how they organize themselves as a regiment to uh, to do battle. So it, it's kind of interesting. But the, uh, that that story got passed around uh, that that they came and while they were asleep. And then the uh, priest promised that they would cover for them. That was a death, uh, a death penalty for falling asleep on duty. Uh, but uh, and then the they removed the stone, this uh, very very heavy stone, and uh, got Jesus out and stole the body somewhere. He didn't resurrect; they just stole the body. Uh, then you have all of these resurrection appearances. That they I, I assume they the idea is that they made those up. And um, anyway, that 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 was their story, and they were kind of sticking to it. Um, the, the idea, though, that, that in the first place, that they could overcome the soldiers was was one of the problems with that particular theory. That's one of the other theories. Not only the swoon theory that he swooned on the cross and then revived and came out, and he would have had to fight off the Roman guards, and so on. Uh, that didn't hold water. It doesn't make sense. It does. It's not logical. And this one, of course, is not either. Uh, and besides that, these disciples who assume, uh, who uh, theoretically, who battled and, and fought these Roman guards and defeated them, or that caught them asleep and, and were able to get the stone off of the tomb and get Jesus' body out and so on without waking them. Uh, that they did that, and then they went on and spread the word that Jesus had come out of the grave alive, that he was resurrected, uh, and they preached it. They didn't go off somewhere thousands of miles away. Of course, eventually they did, but uh, they first preached this message just not many days, just a number of weeks right after the event, and everyone in Jerusalem had seen it. It was a very public event. Uh, they knew it happened, and so they didn't go off somewhere and, and tell people. They told them right there. The, the grave was about a 15-minute walk from downtown Jerusalem, and so right there they pronounced that he has risen from the dead, and uh, all but one, if uh, my understanding is, that all but one of the disciples died a martyr's death. They were killed for claiming they were killed for uh, preaching the message that Jesus had risen from the dead. If if they knew he really didn't, uh, there are not that many people who will die for a lie. I mean, it's I suppose it can happen, but uh, eleven of these men all they all were killed and died and suffered greatly because of their belief and their proclamation of this event that he rose from the dead. 
uh, and their minds, you know, I guess <laughs> that does say something. So there, there's a lot of the, this is the kind of thing that historians look at in its context with all of the different elements of the of the argument and the consequences of the argument. And I'm, I'm asking you tonight, too, to weigh in and let me know uh, what is what is your thought? What do you what's your takeaway from the uh, resurrection event this year? What what's. What has kind of been the event that uh, the, the fact or the truth about it that has uh, impressed you this year that's kind of become part of your focus? Jim is on the phone with me tonight. I'd like to hear from you, Jim Bo. How are you this evening? Good, Sophie. How about you? How are you? I'm doing great, I think. I got a, a little bit of a bug. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you really wanted to know, Jim, but uh, yeah, I got yeah, no, a little bit please. of a something, but I, you know, I'm here and I'm loving it. Uh, we, I, I even got out to Lackland this morning and did the teaching and all, but uh, it, it's been a little tough. I, I don't know what it is, some kind of a rare little bug. You know, these things are going around nowadays, it seems like. Yeah like crazy but i'm i'm good i'm glad to be here i really am and i'd like to hear what you have to say what what your thoughts were particularly i don't know what else you had to say but i'd like to ask you about your approach to uh the resurrection story this year what yeah. what part of it kind of has jumped out and grabbed you just thinking of the two thieves on the cross that were crucified on either side of jesus uh-huh. um, and uh you know just you know in the midst of all his pain jesus still reached out to Either of them, you know, uh, I, I I think it it's kind of speaks to me what the opportunities I have that the thief who did accept Christ a few hours before he died, I got the privilege to, you know, he, if he were alive today, he, he would ask me, you know, what do you do today? Well, I spent some time reading the Word, mm-hmm. and he'd say, wow, I never had that chance, you know, that, that's a great privilege. I'm, I hope you really enjoyed oh, wow. the chance to do that, you know, I, I had a chance to pray for somebody that, well, I never had a chance to do that, you know. He died just so quick after he accepted the Lord. Yeah. All those opportunities, it sometimes get tedious or, you know, I just don't take advantage of the opportunities I have, but I can oh. kind of, he would speak to me even though he's dead. It's like, yeah, I never had that chance. Okay, I hope you really enjoy the opportunity you have to serve the Lord or to, you know, uh, to pray or to, you know, praise him or something. He never had that chance. You know, wow. but I got a chance. Well, that's a heavy thought. <laughs> it really is a very heavy thought, and it, but very, very true. Exactly. Well, it's a it's a motivator, isn't it? You know, to uh, if it is true, we take it seriously. It means something to us. Uh, it really is the gospel. It really is good news. It's it's not. Uh, uh, we tell the uh, the basic trainees out at Lackland all the time that you know, if this is tr- true, it's not a threat to you. If this is true, then your wildest dreams, your the, the most wonderful. The most wonderful situation that, that we could ever imagine for ourselves as human beings turns out to be actually true. There is a creator, and he loves us, and he desires a relationship with us, and He has a, we have a place prepared for us for eternity. It's, it really is true, so it is a great motivator if we're... If we found that hope to share it with others, I, yeah, those two guys on the cross—they are very interesting persons. It kind of backs up. What did you think of my uh, idea a while ago? We were talking about actually individuals. Ultimately, we we believe what we want to believe. We, yeah. And one one of them, these two guys are in the same situation. You know, they, you know, both of them are dying. They're on the cross. Their last moments. The and yet one of them desired and wanted uh, uh, the Savior. One of them didn't. I, uh, 
what made it important to one and not to the other? I don't, I don't know. It just it, it's quirky, you know. I, I had guys that I grew up with in an orphanage, and we heard the same messages for many years. We heard the heard same sermons. We had the same life experience working on the ranch and all, and and yet some of us trusted Christ and began to walk with Him. Others just didn't. Uh, I don't know what it is. It, it's sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a puzzle. You know, I, I I'm thinking of there's a verse in Acts sixteen fourteen. It talks about Lydia, and it said, "And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by the Lord." There you go. It speaks back to Ephesians. You know that we're saved by faith, and that's not even of ourselves; it's a gift of God. Yeah. So uh, you know, we, we do have a choice point in that. You know, we decide. But uh, God also has that role yeah. where He, you know, He provides even the faith to believe. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's like what David says: Who am I? Who am I that God you opened my heart? Yeah. When I have other, I, I do have friends that have you know, gotten exposed to the gospel too, and they haven't responded yet. But, yeah. 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 The wow. operative word is yet. <laughs> Keep praying. Yeah. <laughs> Keep praying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Uh-huh. You know, the, um, uh, I'll talk about that a little bit in a moment too. This whole idea of faith that God gives certain faith. I I have a thought about that, that probably because some people read that and they hear that and they think, well, that just seems unfair. You mean God just, God just gives one person faith and he doesn't give another person faith. And uh, that, you know, in other words, that that doesn't seem fair, you know? And I I think the point is there in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is that uh, it says it's a free gift. And you kind of wonder if you read the sentence, if, is faith the gift or is uh, salvation the gift? And yeah, frankly, it's yeah. both. Uh, God has God has given every human being on planet Earth faith. We all we all live and function. Every human being, we all live and function by faith. That the sun's going to come up in the morning. That that uh, okay, winter is going to follow autumn. And well, except in South Texas, where we don't have much of a winter. But uh, yeah. in other words, in other words, we live by faith in these natural laws all around us all the time. We walk into a room and sit down for a meeting. We don't get down on our hands and knees and examine the chair and check out every every screw and every weld on the chair to make sure it's going to hold us up. Uh, we just sit down. Uh, we assume, and that's an act of faith. We put our whole weight on that chair, and and most of the time it works. You know, every now and again somebody will fall down on a broken chair. But uh, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, faith is faith is the way we live our lives here on planet Earth. We we exercise faith all the time, and the kind of faith that we're talking about is faith in a different set of events. But, you know, we apply our intellect and our mind and we come out with the understanding of what makes more sense uh, from our world and so on. So faith is also, in other words, God is always the initiator. We do not love him, but he loved us first. You know, he takes the initiative uh, and and gives us the ability to believe and he reveals himself. He his spirit calls out to us and everyone is going to judgment time. Whatever that looks like, uh, we're all given account of what, how we responded to what God showed us of Himself, and uh, I, I think, uh, I, I, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole process seems so logical and clear. Uh, the biblical view of of how we live our lives, the context in which we live our lives, it seems so clear and sensible and and, and logical that uh, it's one of the most complete worldviews that I know anything about, and I've really made a lifetime of studying them and the different views. It really explains our our experience as human beings 
I think better than any worldview that I know of, uh, at least. And so, um, Easter fixed right into it. <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. Thank you, Jim, for calling. Anything else on your mind? On your mind? Well, one thing, uh, just uh, just Jesus's heart. You know, even toward the end, you know, he was reaching out to this thief uh, that yeah. did have an open heart. And, Amazing. You know, uh, with the woman at the well, when he said, "You don't have food to eat, you don't know about," uh, just his heart. Yeah. to reach out to anybody that might be, you know, a candidate to, to give their heart and move into eternity in, in heaven. So well, my heart's not that, but, you know, I, I want my heart to resonate with his heart. What, what we learn from Jesus in the gospel is that that was his passion, and, you know, Lord, give me that same passion. I suspect that he is doing that and that your life does reflect that more than you would say. I, I, I'm just guessing myself, but I, I have that same yearning and longing. I really do. I uh, Yeah, sometimes the least... The person you least expect uh, makes that decision, and the person you thought most logically would, it doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I was, uh, I was looking. I, I have this sheet of paper in my Bible that I, I looked at this morning and shared with some of the guys out there. It's a poem I, I heard long long ago. I just carry it around in my Bible because I think it's so. It, it really is quite a, a nice little poem. The title of it is very uh, non. Non presumptuous. It's very humble. It's called the best poem in the world. <laughs> Let me read it to you. It says, I was shocked, confused, and bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor the light or its decor. But it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Bob, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus and I said, what's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How would all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet and so somber? Can you give me a clue? Hush, child, Jesus said, they're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. <laughs> kind of turns it around. Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't presume. I tell you that it's, um, we may all be quite surprised someday at the folks we didn't expect to see there. God's grace and love is so extensive. Uh, but there is a decision to be made. There truly is. Jim, I appreciate you calling tonight on an Easter well, night. You, you, you made right. it special. Good. Thank you. Talk thank to you, you later. Bye. Oh, my goodness. We've got a couple of great calls there, some insight about just responding to the scriptures and the message of uh, resurrection this week, uh, this year, in fact. Give us a call if you'd like. I'd like to hear what made it special for you. What what aspect of Easter made uh, came to your mind most often and encouraged you or gripped you uh, this Easter? I would love to hear from you. 210 340 9585 340 I, I was kind of talking about the fact that we believe what we want to believe and ultimately I think it is that free will that God has given us and the mind the intellect and we all as I said every human being lives by faith even atheists and agnostics live by faith we all do it's 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 the it's the atmosphere in which we have our existence. Uh, we don't have no one has absolute knowledge. 
um, even of things scientific. We What's a great scientific law this year that we depend on and think is unbreakable? Turns out later on we find out somewhere down the track with uh, advances in physics or biology or chemistry that we'll find out that, hmm, it doesn't always work that way. There are exceptions and so on. So we're, we're constantly learning. And we, ha- but we do live by faith in those natural laws uh, that surround us. In the law of gravity, you know, you jump off a twelve-story building, uh, the likelihood of your falling uh, to the ground are just, we would say, absolute. You know, unless you're. Uh, unless you have some kind of a flying contraption on, <laughs> you know, and you can overcome the law of gravity with the with the laws of aerodynamics, and you can get enough up up up, uh, up up pressure from the air to hold you in and fly. You know, so we, I mean, we have these laws though that they work and and they they function. We depend on, and we all do. Human beings everywhere depend on those same laws, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> So we make our own decision. And I, and I think, on what basis do we make our decision? On what basis? How do people make their decision about God? And, and, and over the years, I've, uh, on the mission field, about 50 years, of people from many, many cultures and language groups and people who are hearing the gospel for the very first time, people that are hearing it for the maybe the 500th time. Uh, and it's just a time. A th- question of timing in their life you know one time they were maybe even violently opposed to the gospel to the message of the gospel and the idea of uh you know god and in relationship with god and his moral laws his commandments and so on but, but somewhere along the line something what something changes them what does it what what is it maybe some of you could uh give me a call and say what made you what was the hook that God used. I, I call this God's tackle box a lot of time. I think he has a way to uh, to appeal to almost all of us. Some of us are afraid of death. And, and, and so God's message comes and it tells us, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me will never die. You know, so we, we get that comfort and that encouragement. Not only afraid of death ourselves, but we wonder, some of us wonder about our loved ones that have gone before. Our, uh, that, that precious, wonderful grandma that we loved or that spouse that we lived with for so many years or a brother that we lost when they were young. And we, we wonder, will I see them again? Will they? Uh, and and uh, so there's this idea of loneliness in relationships. Some some people feel that, yeah, of course, with the whole idea of being aligned with and, and related to God himself. You know, that was one of the things that drew me. I was a little orphan boy. I'd been passed around to 16 families before I was six years old, put into a home for homeless and delinquent boys. And, uh, and I, I remember I was Godward. I wondered about God, thought about God. But I heard the message of the gospel uh, for the first time there as a little boy, seven, eight years old. And I, I, one of the parts of it that appealed to me greatly was that if you don't have a father, which I did not, I never knew my father, I don't even know who it was, uh, but if you don't have a father, you can't do a whole lot better the, than the God of the universe. <laughs> That's As far as counsel and protection and provision for you and guidance in life, which classically is what fathers give to their children i mean really you could just the idea of being in a father-son relationship a child of god was a wonderful thing that i i embraced 
that was part of my decision. Uh, and, of course, slowly as I walked with God and learned to talk to him and, and depend on him and trust him and uh, and know him better and better and, and obey him, I began to realize that uh, he's uh, it's not only just that he's there to protect you and all, but it's just it's an astounding existence. He feels I've I become to realize that I'm a child of the king. And it changes the way you see, see yourself. I was not just a little orphan minority race, little kid, little Apache kid running around, no past, no present, no future, no family, no potential, no possibility. No, I was a child of God himself. I had a future. I had He had a plan for my life. And wow, you know, it just it, the idea just kept exploding into greater and bigger things. And so, uh, and he turned. He did. He just turned. Uh, he turned my entire, the destiny of my life around completely, uh, from what I would have thought would have been my existence and what I've seen in others. It could be their existence with my kind of background. Uh, but he does that. And I lived with kids from broken homes and alcoholic parents and all kinds of legal situations uh, for 12 years growing up, from age five to 18. And I tell you, they, there were so many of them whose lives were trans, totally transformed just by walking uh, with God, coming to know him through their faith in Jesus, uh, the Christ, the Messiah, and then also just just growing up in him. And he changed the way they viewed their lives and they viewed the world around them. And they and they, uh, you know, they just they're living uh, gloriously, uh, just enjoying life. We stay in touch, a lot of us together, and uh, so many uh, owe it all. So many of us owe it all to Jesus. Well, that that's, uh, but we believe what we wanted to believe. You know, I, want, I wanted a father. We Some people want meaning and purpose in life. You know, they think, what's life all about? You know, we, we talk about that a lot, you know, uh, significance. I want to make a difference. I want my life to make a difference. I want to help people. Well, why do we want to do those things? If there's no God... Or if we don't know anything about God, what, why would we want to do those things? I mean, it, it, particularly if there's no God, if we just we're here and then we're gone, we just die. And uh, I think it's more logical to grab all the gusto you can get. You know, just do anything you want to do, uh, and and grab all the pleasure you can, and and do anything you want to do because it doesn't really matter. It, I mean, if you live out the logic of your worldview, that is absolutely the truth. I, I'm so happy that most people don't live out that logic because they wouldn't want to live in a world like that themselves either because that means anybody could do anything they wanted to them. Uh, and, you know, we all dislike the rules until it, as far as us obeying them, but we we really like those rules when it makes other people obey them. We, yeah, yeah, don't don't steal from me. Don't hit me. Don't uh, uh, don't take uh, my bride. Don't take my family. Don't, uh, you know, you know but maybe we don't mind doing the same thing in other people's lives. You know, that's that's the idea. But so some people want meaning and purpose and significance. Want, some people hunger for righteousness. They they want to be right. They want to do the right thing. They want to be right, but they, they find themselves powerless to do so. And, of course, along comes the gospel and says that, that God forgives us and cleanses us. Uh, maybe there's a guilt factor in there that they've, they've finally seen their sin and how they treat people and, uh, and and they need that that guilt uh, taken away, and they need the power then to live as they ought. Well, that's offered in the gospel, you know. So, uh, it, like I say, there are a lot of different reasons that people come to God. Uh, 
and maybe if you can think about it, what made you? What what caused you? Was just the power of the truth, or was there some uh, element of this? What I'm, some of these motivations that I've mentioned here? What caused you to come to faith in God and to pursue Him and uh, and faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the Messiah? Here, uh, what caused you to? To do that, if you can give us a call, I'd love to hear from you tonight. The area code is two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five three four zero ninety five eighty five. Well, we're we're coming through a, a time where we have been uh, we have been reading through the books of First and Second Samuel. And you know this was the time when uh, we the transition from the time of the priest to the time of the prophets. You have Samuel, who is uh, last of the priests and maybe the first of the prophets. He is. It's a time of the transition from the people of Israel from a theocracy to a monarchy, and uh, a lot of transition going on. And we've talked about Saul, the first king. We've talked about his failures and his lack of vision and lack of real hunger and thirst for the things of God. He just wasn't there. That that was not part of his psyche, not part of his priorities. Um, And then, of course, we talked about David uh, being uh, ordained and, and anointed to become the next king. And then we'll move on now uh, as we go into First Kings. But first, we're going to journey back to the Gospel of John and pick up there for the next uh, week or two. And I uh, hope you'll enjoy that and come back and join us for that discussion next weekend as well. So right now, I've got to take a quick break. Three four zero ninety five. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. If anybody <laughs> hit the right button, if anybody ever knew who they were, I would say it would uh, he would figure in among those who were most understanding and uh, knowledgeable of who they were. This he um, he seemed to have, of course, a growing understanding. It wasn't like he knew. It wasn't like he was a little six-month-old baby smoking a cigar and knowing he was the eternal Son of God. He was a real six-month-old baby. You know he. Uh, 
uh, wet himself and cried and got hungry. And I mean, he was a baby. He was a normal human being in every sense. And every uh, he he was always God. He never ceased being the Son of God. But Paul tells us, and even Jesus tells us in the opening chapters of chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll probably see this uh, as we get more into it, but. Five times, I think it is, in the first uh, six chapters of John, Jesus says something like, I can't do anything else on my own. I can't do anything of myself out of my own prerogative, my own, own initiative, my own authority as God. I, I don't do anything. I only do what the Father tells me. I only do what the Father leads me to do, what the Father gives me to do. In other words, he lived a life of total, absolute abandonment to the Father. Trusting in God the Father and the and the and the, the Spirit of God that uh, indwelt him, that had been an, an agent of his own birth, uh, he was uh, he, uh, Mary had become pregnant to conceive by the Holy Spirit, so he lived a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father, and all throughout his existence, it just walking by faith. That's what that's an, if you haven't thought about that, you ought to ponder it a little bit. It, it is one of the it's a really, it's a very fat thought. It is really, really amazing to think about Jesus. Most people have an idea about Jesus as kind of what I would say the um, Clark Kent syndrome. You know, we we think that, yeah, on the outside he was this bumbling reporter from the Daily Globe. Was what, what it was called? Planet. Daily Planet. Yeah, uh, he was this bumbling reporter and so on and. Uh, with thick glasses, and, and but that he knew all the time that he was really Superman. You know, he really knew all the time that just underneath that T-shirt and that white shirt and, and tie that there was this red, white, and blue costume with S, a big S on the chest and, and a cape, and, and he knew that all along. So he, he really knew that nothing bad could happen to him. And so we have kind of a, kind of a Clark Kent mentality uh, about Jesus, and I and I think if Jacob were here, he would remind me uh, that uh, Chalel, Chael, and uh, I mean, that really, there was a lot of Jewish influence over the names and, and even the story of Superman, and that um, that was kind of the idea. He was almost kind of a Jesus figure uh, from coming from another world down to save this planet and so on. Uh, it's part of the, at least the background, probably of the idea of Superman, but that 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 isn't what we have in the case of of um, Jesus. We uh, maybe in maybe in time, but he didn't learn increasingly that he was uh, that he was um, mm, uh, what's what, what, that he was not vulnerable that he was invulnerable to to bullets and stuff uh i guess even superman is if you read the stories of a baby growing up he discovered slowly but surely his powers but uh, that's what we see in jesus too he as a toddler a little boy a little he he began to discover the truth about himself it wasn't like superpowers but his mom and dad told him that who he was uh, he learned in the tabernacle when he attended the, uh, the in the synagogue. He, he attend. I'm said, sorry, I said tabernacle in the synagogue where every uh, Jewish boy attended to learn to read, and they read the the Old Testament scriptures, the Tanakh, 
and he learned about Messiah. They taught them greatly. And remember, the Messiah is not a, a Gentile creation. The Messiah is purely and totally a, a Hebrew, a Jewish concept. And they read about all these predictions and these prophecies about this one who would come, who would uh, crush the head of Satan, destroy the works of, of Satan, and, and that he, although he would be wounded in the heel. And Jacob talked about that last week, about how Jesus was crucified on the the uh, place of the skull, Golgotha, the, where Goliath's skull had been buried by David centuries before. So, uh, yeah, we have these all these little moving parts, all of these details coming together in his life. But Jesus himself grew up a normal Hebrew boy in, in that first century Israel under Roman occupation. But uh, he, he did not have the inherent irresistible... Uh, tendency to selfishness and sin. That's one thing he didn't have because of his unique birth, his unique conception. He did not inherit the uh, in the the sin nature, that irresistible, irrevocable tendency to to selfishness and sin. Uh, he he. That's why he's called the second or last Adam. He once more was uh, uh, a human being who was facing the uh, the decision, God or no God. Uh, from um, from the point of view of a sinless uh, sinlessness, uh, like Adam and Eve did, but he made the right decisions. He 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 chose good. He chose God. He chose obedience. He chose even if it meant uh, suffering and difficulties for him, and because he lived in a sinful world, and. He knew what it would cost him. The predictions were there in the scriptures. He knew what he was going to when he made his last journey down from Galilee to Jerusalem. He told his disciples very clearly uh, what he was going to, what was going to happen to him. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be, be crucified. I'm going to be killed, and I will rise again. Amazing concept, actually. I wonder. I do wonder how the. Uh, I, I I don't guess the I don't guess the disciples got it I, I suppose because they still even after that had questions and when they got to Jerusalem in the garden and so on they I don't I don't know what they might have thought they must have thought it idealistically or in some way theoretically or spiritually I'm going to rise they they they, they were dutifully surprised. Uh, when when he came out of the grave, a bodily resurrection and appeared to them without a doubt. So uh, I don't think they got it, but it came back to them. Of course, after the event, they they realized what he had said, and that he had he had come out of the grave. What is your takeaway? What is your takeaway from the resurrection story this year? I'd like to hear from you. If you'd like to give me a call, three four zero ninety five eighty five three four zero. Nine five eight five. What what aspect of the resurrection came to your mind? Um, Jim said, "Well, it's just that you know the thief on the on the cross that re- repented, you know, and that Jesus here in his last moments was thoughtful of someone else. He spent his last some of his last words and last moments caring about the eternal destiny of of, of another human being, uh, uh, a crook." And admitted, you know, convicted thief, 
And uh, D- Jesus took those moments to think about him. I, and I, I'm sure if Jacob were here, I keep saying that. He, I've learned so many things about him. Even the when he said from the cross, uh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, that I never. I always thought that was a huge expression of thoughtfulness. You know that wow, he's forgiving even his enemies. They, they, they say they, they didn't know what they were doing, and 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 yet uh, Jacob has explained to us that something even more than that was going on. In that uh, it, this it, Jesus was covering for them in a sense and saying they don't know what they're doing. That's that's unintentional sin. And so it could be covered by the Passover lamb, their forgiveness. Uh, intentional sin is a whole different thing. And so here Jesus is saying to the Father, for they don't know what this is unintentional. They don't understand what they're doing. And so here you have Jesus even standing up for it and pleading the best case scenario for on behalf of his enemies. Uh, what a, what a, it was a very, very remarkable uh, this this whole incident, uh, he walked willingly. He said himself, no one takes my life from me. Uh, I, I give it up willingly. Uh, and, and that was very important. That was an important, important aspect of the work of the Messiah, that they would freely give. Uh, he would freely give his life in the benefit of others. So um, anyway, it's, a re- this, it's become the central point of... Uh, of human history, uh, even our calendars, and of course here in the Western world, have been. It's been now. It's from B.C. before Christ to Anno Domini, Domini in the year of our Lord. Uh, for much of the world, that's the calendar. It's it's built upon who uh, this one who came and um, lived out this perfect life of faith and trust, obedience to the Father. Then he who knew no sin became sin for us. Well, we're going to be moving into the Gospel of John here uh, this coming week. And just at the right time here, we're in the the Easter season and all. And uh, we... We're going to look... uh, John is the more theological of the four Gospels. Uh, The other Gospels, each of them are theological, but... Less so. They examine their portrait of the Messiah. Is uh, their portrait of the Messiah is uh, based on uh, their distinct backgrounds and the the distinct audience to whom they spoke. Uh, there was um, Matthew, who was a tax collector. He spoke to the people of Israel. He presented Jesus as uh, the Messiah, the King. He emphasized his kingship. Uh, as the Messiah. Mark emphasized uh, the servant heart of the Messiah, how he went from one person to another, from one family to another, from one group to another, serving them and and, and uh, presenting the servant role, the servant heart of the Messiah. And then uh, uh, Luke, the doctor, the physician, the only uh, Gentile in the New Testament writers, uh, he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and later on the the book of the Acts. The Act, well, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. I I tend to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he emphasizes the manhood, the humanity of Jesus. This idea of a perfect man of faith and trust and obedience to the Father, uh, and how then he who knew no sin 
willingly gave himself to become sin for us. So now John comes along, and John presents Jesus as the eternal Son of God, the incarnate Son of God. Um, a little, I wonder if you have any trouble with that. What What do you make? I, I just talked to you about the nature of the Messiah. He truly was a man. He wasn't, uh, you know, a little little kid who... Uh, you know, just knew from the very beginning who he was. He he had a growing knowledge. His mom and dad told him who he was. He saw them in the scriptures who he was. By the age of 12, Jesus was pretty, you could tell from that one experience when he shows up at the temple with his mom and dad. Uh, well, he, he had wandered away from them. Uh, he'd gone to his bar mitzvah there in, in Jerusalem, and they left in a convoy, and they just... On the trip out, said, "Hey, where, where's Yeshua? Where, where's Jesus?" And they had to go back to the city, and they found him at the temple, uh, being continuing his bar mitzvah. He was being questioned by the elders and by the priests, which is a, a, a fact, which is a uh, an aspect of a bar mitzvah, uh, asking questions, answering questions, and they they he was even they were quite astounded with his understanding of the scriptures and on and he identified himself he said don't you know i need to be about be about my father's business and he wasn't talking about joseph helping joseph out in the carpenter shop he was talking about his heavenly father he had already at that point come to understand he who he was uh, i assume he had a growing knowledge of that but then he had to hang on to that knowledge from age 12 to somewhere around uh, 29 30 he had to just hang on to that knowledge here he is uh, with this understanding that he is that Messiah, that a long-awaited king, that long-awaited redeemer, savior uh, uh, of the world. And I assume he continued to grow and deepen in his understanding, but he had to hold on to that. Uh, our instinct would be, wow, just jump out there and present yourself, start telling people who you are, and start building an organization and start raising support and raising money and get a few investors. And <laughs> we would get on after it. But but he waited. He waited. He waited. I, I wonder what it was like uh, those 17 years waiting. Like David had to wait, remember, for 25 years to become king of Israel. Uh, after 25 years after he had been anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel, he had to wait. Like uh, like uh, Abraham, who had to wait uh, somewhere around 25 years as well for that son that God had promised him, well, with his uh, uh, w- with his wife Sarah. So he, but they had to wait on that promise. They had to wait on God's timing. And of course, uh, Abraham didn't wait. He wouldn't went ahead and had a child, Ishmael, with his handmaiden. He didn't have the patience to wait. David. David waited. Uh, David waited. He he endured persecution. He was pursued by Saul. He had several opportunities to kill Saul, but he didn't do it. Uh, there's a great example of David uh, being a man after God's own heart. David appreciated and valued the things of God. He understood the unique calling that God had given to the people of that nation. Uh, the, the people of Israel, to be a, a people of faith, a people who followed the one true true and living God, a monotheistic, uh, a monotheistic nation in the midst of uh, polytheism and idolatry of all kinds around them, constant uh, temptations, constantly being attacked and influenced by them in so many ways, and yet they were to remain monotheistic, to continue to teach the one true and living God. And David did did that, but but Jesus had to hang on as well. Uh, those seventeen years waiting, taking probably taking care of his mom, 
It is thought that Joseph probably died early in their lives. He's not mentioned uh, later on. And so it is thought that perhaps he had died. And so Jesus, as the oldest child, becomes the head of the family, uh, looking out for his mother, taking care of his siblings. He did have younger brothers and sisters in the household. Uh, we learn about them. Judas was one, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas who wrote the, the book of Jude, Jude, I'm sorry, Jude, the book of Jude in the New Testament. And, uh, of course, uh, James, the one who all of them were not believers at one time as they grew up. Uh, but somewhere along the line, they came to understand and know who, that this older brother uh, was someone very, very special. And they came to understand that he was indeed uh, that Redeemer, that Messiah. And James became a believer, a leader of the uh, Jerusalem church there in the first century. Uh, so there, you know, here, here we have this man of perfect faith and obedience who obeyed God in everything he did, the miracles he did, the sermons he preached. He, he did them all under the guidance and influence and enabling of God the Father and the Spirit working in him. He lived a life of total obedience. Paul himself says it, that he, that he took off his rightful uh, robes of deity and all the initiatives and prerogatives, his rights as God. He, left, he didn't lose them. He, didn't, uh, he still was God, but he voluntarily left off the free exercise of his divine prerogatives, and he chose to live under the yoke of faith and obedience and total dependence upon God. In the timing of his ministry and the things that happened and the miracles he did, he himself says, I don't do anything of my own self, nothing of my own power, my own initiative, my own prerogative as God. I do only what the Father enables and leads me to do. What, a, what an amazing uh, concept. If you think that through, if you read the life of Jesus, and if you think that through, that he was functioning as a man of faith throughout all of these situations, it is really a very heavy understanding. It will cause your admiration for Yeshua. It will cause your your uh, admiration, your your worship, even to just soar. Uh, that wow, he he did that. He didn't have a special advantage. He didn't have a special uh, power. He did that as a man. He he took it. He stayed in the in the saddle of faith, and he carried it all the way to the end, as Paul says, humbling himself to death, even the death on the cross. Just. He saw it all the way through when he didn't really. And he knew he didn't have to. At the end, you know, he said, I, don't you know I could call 10,000 angels? Uh, and some of his followers took out their little swords, you know, and he said, you know, no one takes my life from me. I, I give it voluntarily. I could call 10,000 angels to deliver. But he, at that time, he knew who he was. He was seeing it through. He stayed on the cross. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, it, it just... Wow. <laughs> the drama of all dramas, the uh, the greatest uh, story, uh, as some have called it, the greatest story ever told. And it turns out that it, uh, it's true. It's the biggest story. It has to do with, with every human being on the planet. It has to do with our purpose and our significance, the meaning of life itself here on planet Earth is to know him and to enjoy him forever and to love each other. We're, we are being called out to be God's people. Uh, through the centuries, uh, ever since Adam and Eve, that's what God has been doing, 
calling out a people for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. Uh, That's his significant eternal plan for the human race, calling out a people for himself. And I hope that you're going to be a part of that people. I hope that your heart is stirred, your your intellect and mind is satisfied, and your emotions are, are thrilled and stirred with the idea of the, the fact that the, the creator of the universe, uh, first place, even knows about you. What is the creator and sustainer of everything that exists? What in the whole What is he doing even knowing about this little speck of dust called Soapy Dollar or Jim or Johnny or Laurie or Mary or you know, whoever, all of you that are listening? How How is it that the creator of the universe even knows about us? Out of all the 7 billion people on the planet today and all the billions who have lived before and, and all the planets and the stars, and the, that he would know about you and me? Whew! That's a, that's an incredible thought, but that's that's what that's what the resurrection harkens back to. That's what the resurrection means is that uh, the, it, that whole that whole scenario is true. That's why we're here, uh, without a doubt. That's why we're here. That, I, I was going to tell you earlier, but I think I'll hold off just a, a minute here toward the last. What my view on Resurrection Sunday was this year. Um, John's holding up a sign to me. He says, Abba, Father. <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, first, I thought your Abba, Father was calling in, you know. So, <laughs> Oh, hello, Abba. Uh, Abba, Father. Yeah, that we become a child of the living God. What, a, what an amazing thing. Um, I, I, let me see. I do have one other caller. I'm going to run over really quickly uh, and talk with Renee. I don't have a lot of time. But hopefully we can get a comment from Renee and what Easter has meant to her this year. How are you doing, Renee? Oh, I think maybe we've... I waited too long, didn't I, John? Okay, let's take that. Uh, Sorry to have missed Renee's call. Uh, Let me talk to you a little bit about what impressed me this year as uh, Easter. You know, every year is kind of a little bit different. You come into it with a different mentality, with different life experience, a different place in life. I guess what hit me this year was, you know, one of the oldest questions in life is if a man lives, if a man dies, shall he live again? Uh, That comes from the book of Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible. Even that early, early on, if a man dies, will he live again? That was that was a question that that people had. We've always had this longing for immortality, this desire for that. And, and where does that come from? And how how terrible it would be to have that without any answer, without any fulfillment. Uh, you know, the the animal kingdom they don't worry about eternal life. They don't question about. Uh, you know, am I going to live again in the resurrection? I mean, sure, they have a, 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 a preservation instinct. They don't want to die, and they, they flee from pain and, and hurt and so on. But but they don't have the... But we as human beings have been created with eternity in our hearts, the Bible says. We do know about it. And I think that has become foremost in my mind this year at Easter. Is that, you know, I'm old, older now. I'm way up in years. I've had a wonderful life. But when I close my eyes in death... 
Is there life after death? Is there really going to be an existence? And if there's anything else that the Bible tells us, and there are a lot of things that the resurrection tells us, it is that there is indeed life after death. I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at the latter day the upon Bible the earth. See you next week. To helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on the Bible Live weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.